You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. So we've been looking at different, uh, we, we call them covenant practices from our member covenant that we as, as members of Midtown Tunash, commit to, to so that we can be in pursuit of what God wants to do in and through us. And so today, we'll be looking at one specific covenant practice that all of our members, again, have agreed to, to, again, pursue what God wants to do in us in transforming us. And that covenant practice that we'll look into today, I'll just read it as it is stated in our member covenant. It reads, Our services on Sunday shape us into a people marked by listening to God's word and responding in prayer, worship, generosity, and mission within our spirit-filled community. So that's what we believe to be true, and this is what we commit to do. Therefore, I commit to prioritizing Sunday service participation. Therefore, I commit to prioritizing Sunday service participation. If you have a Bible with you, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Again, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hopefully we were able to put one near you, uh, maybe in the back of the seat in front of you. If you do not own a Bible, please take that Bible home with you. We would love for you to have and own your own Bible. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, uh, I go by Ant. Um, I get the privilege of serving as pastor here at Midtown Two Notch. If you're new, I see we have a lot of guests with us. Very glad that you're here worshiping with us. We're excited that we get to spend some time with you this morning as we sing and worship and also get into the Word this morning. Again, we'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. While you're turning there and while, while, while you're getting there, one of the things that is very important that we understand before we get into this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 is that the book of Hebrews is really all about what many theologians would call the supremacy of Christ saying that Christ is supreme over everything. He is greater than everything else. He is more powerful than anything else. So earlier in the book of Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus is supreme to the angels. It goes on to talk about how Jesus is supreme and and even sits over Moses, to which to the Jews he's talking to here would have been a huge statement for them because of how much they looked up to Moses and the Mosaic law. But he also goes into Jesus being supreme over the priesthood, in the Old Testament. And, and the passage we'll be in today in Hebrews chapter 10 will we'll deal with some things regarding the, the priesthood. So b- before I get into it, I want to make sure we, we understand a little bit about the priesthood so we can make sense uh, of this text and this passage in Hebrews chapter 10. So one of the most important things to know about the priesthood is that once a year, the high priest would go into the tabernacle. And see, inside the tabernacle were these two places that you could refer to as the holy places. There was the holy place and then the most holy place, or some translations call it the holy of holies. And this is where God's presence was revealed and manifested and sensed more than anywhere else in the world. Inside this tabernacle, in in the holy places. And only the high priest could go into the holy places and only once a year to make atonement for the sins of the people of God. So the high priest would have to not wear his normal uh, kind of priestly garments. We have to wear white linens. We have to go through these cleaning rituals because no one could go into the presence of God without being clean. So you've got to go through these, these cleaning rituals. He has to also bring in an animal with him that he has to sacrifice for, for his sins and another animal that he sacrifices for the sins of God's people. This is very important. God is communicating with his people on this day once a year when this high priest goes into the presence of God, he's communicating to them that God does not tolerate sin. That God does not tolerate sin. 
So when, when the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies or to the most holy place and he has to sacrifice this animal, it, it, it is reminding the people of God that, hey, sin is a big deal to God. This is not a small thing to God. This is a big deal, yeah, because he didn't want them to, to, to misunderstand that if they sin from time to time and worship these false gods, that, there was, that it was of no consequence, right, that it didn't really matter to God. No, every, every year, once a year, they're going to come to this ceremony where they witness the high priest going in on their behalf and atoning for the sin. The word atoning just means to make a payment for something, to, to make things right, and there had to be bloodshed. So the first thing we see that they would have noticed that God does not tolerate sin, but also that forgiveness is costly. That forgiveness is costly. That yes, God is a forgiving God. God is a gracious God. God gives his, he forgives his people over and over, but forgiveness is not free. Forgiveness is not free. That the only way that, that the people of God can be forgiven is if there is bloodshed. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Their sin was, was not of, of no consequence. They had to see that their rebellion against God, their idolatry, their sin, that there was a cost that must be paid, and that cost was life every time they saw those animals sacrificed on that day. And one of the beautiful things that we see when Hebrews calls Jesus not just the high priest, but the great high priest, we see that Jesus, he didn't have to, when, when, when he was sacrificed for us, he didn't have to cleanse himself or wear white because he was already perfectly righteous, perfectly clean, and perfectly pure. And Jesus is also better than the high priest of old because he doesn't walk in carrying an animal to sacrifice. He carries himself to the sacrifice because he is the ultimate sacrifice when he dies on the cross on our behalf. That he was our mediator, that he was the one that atoned for sins. And Hebrews even says that the blood of bulls and goats can't truly atone for sins. But when Jesus comes in and dies, we don't have to have a high priest that makes a sacrifice over and over and over again because his sacrifice was accepted by God once and for all. He is the great high priest. He is the eternal sacrifice. And it was his blood that was shed on our behalf so that we could have access to the presence of God. Because at that point, the only one who could actually go into, the, pres- into the, the most holy place where God's presence was manifested more than anywhere else was the high priest. He was the only one. He could only go once a year. Like, even though God wanted his people to be with him, to dwell with him, they were limited in the access that they had to God's presence. But when Jesus died, if you're familiar, we don't have time to turn there. But in Matthew chapter 27, when he died, one of the things that it says happened is that the veil was torn. The veil was this thick curtain that stood between the most holy place and everybody else. And in order to get into that, that the holy of holies or the most holy place, you had to go beyond the curtain. But when Jesus died, we see in Matthew 27 that that veil was torn, symbolizing now all of his people, all who are in Christ, all who place faith in the death, resurrection, and resurrection, excuse me, of Jesus now have access to the presence of God. This is the context that we're in. In Matthew chapter 27, I'll finish the verse I read a little bit earlier. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord, our great high priest sacrificed himself on our behalf that we might know him. I hope this gives understanding. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start at verse 19. The author writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter 
the holy places. So that's talking about the, the, the most holy place and the holy place that only the high priest was able to go into. He's saying now we have confidence that we can now enter into the holy place. He says, by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. So he's drawing a parallel to the body of Jesus and the curtain. He's saying when Jesus' body was torn, when he died, the curtain was also torn that we can go and be with God and dwell with him. He's saying when Jesus' body was torn and ripped, the veil was also ripped. So now we can go in and have confidence going and, be, and knowing and experiencing and understanding the presence of God. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's just pointing out the fact that we now have access to God. We can experience his presence. If you are a believer, a follower of Jesus, a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit of God, the living presence of God actually lives inside of you. We don't have to go somewhere. We're not trying to go to a temple or tabernacle anywhere. It's not, we don't just experience the Holy Spirit when we come and gather together here. He is always with us. But now, in light of that, the author of Hebrews is going to give us three specific exhortations that we should follow as followers of Jesus because we now have access to the presence of God. Because we now know him. Each of these exhortations begin with the words, let us. The first one we'll bring out of verse 22. Because we now have access to the presence of God. Verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure, excuse me, pure water. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Exhortation number one is let us draw near. Because we now have access to the very presence of God, the author of Hebrews writes, let us draw near. Then he points out two realities. One is an internal reality of change, and one is an external reality that we use to show the change that happens on the inside. He says, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. With our hearts sprinkled clean of an evil conscience, that all who have actually placed faith in Jesus, this is not just something we say with our mouths, but he is actually actively working in us. When the Bible talks about our conscience, it's our understanding, our grasp of right and wrong. So he's saying as we follow Jesus, he is sprinkling our consciences clean, that he is helping us to see right and wrong the way he does, helping us to see sin the way that he does. This is evidence of us becoming followers of Jesus. This is one of the things that allows us to have full assurance that we're actually his. Number two is an external reality when he says at the end of verse 22, he says, and our bodies washed with pure water. He's likely referring to baptism, which is a practice of those who have faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying those who have been baptized, those who are followers of Jesus, whose hearts have been, whose consciences have been sprinkled clean, he says we can draw near to him with full assurance of faith. We've experienced the internal change. We've celebrated outwardly with baptism. So let us draw near to him who is our great high priest who provided the sacrifice that we needed because we are sinful and unclean in and of ourselves. So first exhortation was, let us draw near. The second one comes in the next verse, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Exhortation number two, let us hold fast the confession of hope. Let us hold fast the confession of hope. The term fast, it's, think of the term fasten. 
He's saying for us to hold fast, it's like we are to fasten ourselves to our confession of hope without wavering. He's saying we are to hold on tight. If something is fastened to something, no matter where that thing goes, it keeps that thing with it that it is fastened to. So if the trials of life move you in this direction or that direction, wherever you are, he's saying you remain fastened to your hope in Christ. That you don't let go of your hope, that you don't give in to hopelessness, but you remain fastened to your hope. And then he gives us a reason why we are to hold fast our hope or our confession of hope without wavering. He says, for he who promised is faithful. He's saying to not ever let go of your hope, not ever give in to hopelessness, because the one who promised to be your hope is faithful. Because you can depend on him. You can count on him. What he says is true. He is faithful. So you hold on to your hope in him. You remain hopeful. And this is, a, this is important because you have a real enemy. The Bible says his name is Satan. And he wants to rob you of your hope in Christ. He wants you to believe that at the end of the day, darkness wins and light does not. He wants you to believe, well, why would I continue on in this Christian faith? Why would I continue working so hard and fighting against all these desires? It's not worth it. I'm not getting anywhere doing this, so I should just give up. And the author of Hebrews says, no, you have access to God. Hold fast your confession of hope. Hold on to your hope. Remain fastened to it. The Christian who holds fast to their confession of hope is a strong Christian. They can continue on and never give up no matter how many times they fail because they know that ultimately nothing will conquer them because they are in Christ. The Christian who holds fast to their hope is a strong Christian. They can love and befriend those that no one else wants to love and befriend because they, they know where their love comes from and they know what it is like to be loved even when they have wronged others. The Christian who holds fast to their confession of hope can remain grateful. Y'all got to catch this one. Can remain grateful and maintain joy in the Lord no matter what happens in this life because their hope didn't come from this world in the first place. Amen. The Christian who holds fast to their confession of hope is strong and unconquerable by the difficulties and the trials and sufferings of this life. The Christian who holds fast to their confession of hope stands out in this world full of hopelessness. We stand as ambassadors for him who have been made new. This is the type of person that's being transformed and renewed by God so that they are more fit to be used as his ambassador, as he is bringing his kingdom come with power on this earth that we might see this world and specifically Columbia look more and more like heaven. He gives another exhortation in Verse 24, and I think it actually helps us embody the first two exhortations that he gives us. Verse 24 reads, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Exhortation number three is let us consider how to stir up one another. Let us consider. The author of Hebrews says we need to be thoughtful about this. We need to consider how we might spur one another on. We, we all need encouragement if we're going to continue to draw near to our great high priest. And if we're going to continue to hold fast to our confession of hope, we need encouragement. We need to be spurred on by one another. And he's saying we need to stop and think about and consider how we might encourage one another. And the next thing he says provides 
for us a way to make sure we're able to encourage one another. That's verse 25. He says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's saying some neglect to meet together. There's some, some neglect the opportunity that we have to encourage one another because they neglect meeting together. Some people are just okay with catching the podcast at home. Some people are okay with not assembling together and congregating together with the brothers and sisters in the faith. He's saying, don't forsake this. Don't neglect this. Don't allow the cares and pursuits of your life to squeeze this corporate gathering together out of your schedule. Don't allow your different affairs to take priority over the coming together of believers in Christ. It is a means of bolstering your faith. Family, this is what we're after with our Sunday services. We try to practice verses 24 and 25 to the best ability that we know how. As we plan our services together, we consider how might we be an encouragement to those in our church? How might we stir one another up that towards love and good works? How can we encourage our people to draw near to our great high priest? We believe that God has been using corporate worship services like the one we're attending right now for literally thousands of years to grow his people, to transform us, to help us to draw near to him and hold fast to our hope in him because we need encouragement. We need to be able to encourage one another. So here's what I want to do. We said a little bit earlier, I said a little bit earlier that we want to prioritize regular Sunday service participation. I want to try to kind of pull back the, the, the curtain a little bit so you're able to see how we have planned the different elements of our service and how you faithfully participating in them week in and week out actually serve to help us in drawing near to him and holding fast to our hope in him and considering how we might encourage one another together. One of the things about our Sunday services that I think people often uh, maybe sleep on or don't really think about is what happens in what I call the pre-service, before anybody on a microphone says anything. Right? There's generally a time, and this has been the case for our church for a while, and in some ways I see a lot of health in this. When, when people come in early, visitors or, or maybe just other brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're able to welcome and fellowship with one another. It's actually an extremely important part of gathering together. It's actually one of the times when you're able to, through conversation with someone else, encourage your brothers and sisters in the faith. One of the things that I've tried to put before our church, specifically our members, time and time again, is we ask people, if you're able to, can we be here minutes early, like 1045? Can we be here early? One of the things I frequently say is, hey, if you're throwing a party at your place, you're not showing up when the thing starts. You're there early because you have to welcome the guests and the visitors and those who are there, and it allows opportunity for us to fellowship with one another as well. One of our members brought someone, a gentleman here, I think it was maybe about a month ago or so, and he came in before our service actually got going, and I saw quite a few people greet him. I got to greet him a little bit. I was busy doing a few different things, and he actually told one of our members afterwards, he said, I can't remember the last time I felt that welcome in a place before. In any place, not, not in the church service. He said, I can't remember the last time I felt that welcomed in a place before. This is why we value the pre-service. 
so that we can actually extend along with the host team. And this is something the host team does a good job of and we are grateful for. But even beyond the people who are the greeters and the ushers, if we could come together consistently and say, we're going to make sure that nobody who comes up in here goes ungreeted and feels unwelcomed that comes in here. This is a powerful thing. This is how we join God in his mission and we're able to be an encouragement to one another in the Lord. Sometimes I think our self-focus causes us to neglect participating in our services together. We see Sunday services as a means just for us to be blessed, for me to be blessed, for me to receive. And the author of Hebrews here says, let us consider how we might stir one another up, how we might be an encouragement to one another. I wonder if you have considered how you might be an encouragement to someone if you were just able to get here early to be able to welcome those maybe who are new in our midst. And obviously after we do that, we have what we, what we do generally in the beginning of our services of what we call our call to worship. This is generally when someone, usually me, reads a scripture at the beginning of our time together to center and focus ourselves on the word of God. Generally speaking, the scriptures that we look to aren't specifically telling us anything to do, but we want to start off by looking at who is God. This God that we draw near to, the one that gives us this hope that we hold on to. The biggest thing I want to say about this one is, hey, when we get started, let's be participating. Generally speaking, if you've been in our church for a little while, you can tell when our service is about to start. We try to put a timer up here on the screen. Have your conversations done. Unless you're in the host team, be here, be ready, be in your seat. Let's get set together to worship the Lord together and get our service started by focusing our mind, our hearts on the Lord. Do whatever you need to do there. You might have to close your eyes. Maybe raising your hands helps you focus in on the Lord. Whatever you have to do, let's be engaged. Let's participate and be set and ready to worship the Lord together. Even before we sing. So Hebrews chapter 10, as I said earlier, talks about us encouraging each other and stirring one another up when we come together. And I think sometimes it might be difficult for us to see the aspect of corporate singing as a way of us actually encouraging one another. I want to make the case to you today that corporate singing is a very important way that we actually encourage one another. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, I want you to notice what Paul talks about. As he's talking about being filled with the Spirit, verse 18 and 19. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Right? So just how if someone's drunk with with alcohol or with wine, that that, that alcohol controls them in some ways. It affects the way they interact, the way they respond. He says, don't do that. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit change the way that you respond, the way that you act. Let the Holy Spirit fill you. Verse 19, here's a way that we walk in that, addressing one another He says, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. He's saying as we're seeking to be filled with the Holy Spirit, let's sing songs, spiritual songs, songs about our Lord. He says it's it's horizontal and vertical. He says we're singing to one another, right? We are singing to encourage one another, and we're making melody to the Lord in our hearts. When we're in here in times of corporate worship, hopefully you've experienced this as well, when you can hear so many voices singing praises to God, it is an encouragement to us. That when we do this, it blesses us to hear God's people singing together. It can make me and make us want to draw near to God as we witness our other brothers and sisters participating in corporate singing in times of corporate worship. There's been times before 
preaching for me, when I've been discouraged for whatever reason, I'm talking about the service has already started and I know I got to come up here and preach. I'm just feeling discouraged or down for whatever reason or maybe feeling a little bit anxious. But as the, the body of God, as the saints get together to worship, my very heart has been encouraged to go and proclaim the good news of God because I just see my family coming together and worshiping God together. And it's a very powerful thing. I think it's important to note that because I believe it can be easy for some of us to see times of corporate singing. This is only vertical, right? This is only about me receiving, being blessed by God, being encouraged by God. And that's extremely, extremely important. But, But when that happens, sometimes we don't necessarily have a desire for our voices to be heard in singing. And so we are missing out on the blessing and the benefit of actually being able to bless others and encourage others by having our voice be heard as we sing, as we participate in corporate worship. Because as Paul says here, he's referring to a singing to one another in Ephesians chapter 5 with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that, that others who might walk into this room discouraged or anxious or maybe, maybe struggling to continue to hold on to their hope that they can be encouraged as we sing together. May we be those who participate in corporate singing as we sing to one another and make melody to the Lord in our hearts. Also in our times of, of corporate worship, we have just times of scripture reading. We believe it's obviously we believe it's very important for God's word to be explained and be proclaimed to all peoples. But also we feel it's very important for sometimes let's just read the Bible and let it stand by itself for a second. Let's just lead, let's just read the Bible and just have the scriptures and the Holy Spirit be at work through the reading and the meditating on of scriptures. And we just stand and just sit with it for a second. Let's just meditate on God's words only for a second. Generally speaking, what we do is that same passage is the passage that's going to be preached on. So we're going to try to break it down and we're going to try to explain it. But God's word can stand alone also. That it is powerful in and of itself. I want to invite you to participate and engage during those times and just let the word of God wash over you. Maybe you'll need to close your eyes and just think about it and just focus on what's being read. Maybe you need to look at what's written on the screens as we participate in this time. But hey, this is not filler in our worship service. Right. This is not just a time that we do just because this is what we're used to doing. No, we count this as important. The word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. It does surgery on our hearts and makes us more like him. Let's just sit with the word of God for a minute. Let's meditate on it and reflect on it, knowing that the Holy Spirit who is with us uses that to transform our lives. One of the things that we also consider to be important, obviously, usually right in the center of our service will be someone, usually me, standing up and proclaiming the word of God. There'll be a sermon expounding on God's word, proclaiming it, pushing us as his people to follow him, to know him, to love him, to worship him. This is extremely important. We encourage you to actively participate, be actively engaged during the sermon. That it's important that in in this world that we live in, you're going to be fed so many different narratives about yourself, so many different narratives about our world. But the word of God is true. It lasts forever. It will endure. And we need our minds and our hearts recentered and recalibrated on the word of God. We need to be encouraged in the word. We need to be encouraged to draw near to our God. We need to be encouraged to hold fast to our confession 
of hope. Your soul needs to be encouraged to do that. One of the things that I find to be just amazing is that God actually uses imperfect people to proclaim his perfect word to continue to transform his imperfect people. That he would work through the words of people that he has created, people who have turned away from him to transform you. Do you value the proclaimed word of God? Do you value sitting under the teaching of the word of God? One of the things that I like to encourage that we do from time to time here in our worship services is one of the ways that we can, that you can participate in encouraging everyone else uh, that many, I believe, cultures participate in is an affirmation of the word of God, even during the preaching, whether it's an amen or how, y'all know I like a good amen every now and again in the sermon. Somebody, there was a visitor, someone who came and worshiped with us one Sunday, who, who really wasn't used to that type of thing, said, when I was sitting and listening to the word being proclaimed, and I heard someone say amen, it made me think, oh, yeah, that was really good. That was really good. I don't know if they were getting distracted. I don't know if they don't like the way I talk. Like, I don't know what, what exactly it was, but they were like, it reminded them and, and affirmed to them and encouraged them of how good God's word truly is, and we should gather together and consider how we might encourage one another and stir one another up towards love and good works as we gather together. And in generally speaking, on a very consistent basis, and we'll do the same thing today, after the word of God is proclaimed, we go to the table and we partake in communion. This is a very special time. This is obviously something that Jesus set up in a very special way, but this actually reminds us of how we can draw near of why we can draw near to our God with full assurance that we are his. It's because Jesus came down and died for us. Don't don't ever just look past communion. Don't ever participate in communion without actually doing it in remembrance of our Lord and Savior. This is also a time that we can participate in one of the covenant practices that we have, which is confession and repentance. Especially if there's one of those sermons that just read your mail, One of those sermons that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of something. Take that time. Take that moment. Confess to the Lord how you sinned, how you turned away from him. Repent right there and go and partake in communion and accept his forgiveness for you. And accept the fact that you have been made right in his eyes because of what Jesus did when he came and died for us. Communion is an incredible time of reminding us of how we can draw near. It's an incredible time to remind us of the one who is our hope, that he is faithful that he is reliable, that we can depend on him and count on him. If you ever experience any amount of, of hopelessness or lack of belief, communion is extremely important for you. There's a lot of things that we're called to do in the Bible. There's a lot of things that the, Bible, that, that the people of God in the Bible did to help them remember the faithfulness of God. If you go to the Old Testament, sometimes they made these different monuments to remind them of what God has done. Sometimes God told them, hey, tell your children and your children's children about how I rescued you and about how I saved you. But oftentimes there's these tangible things that he gives them as these reminders of his faithfulness. And communion is our tangible reminder of what he did for us. It takes our remembering of God beyond our just hearing what God has done, but it actually puts something tangible in our hands so that we can remember, hey, this is real. He died for us. And as we partake in communion together, we are reminded 
that our great high priest was perfect. Our great high priest was sinless. He was the only one that didn't deserve to be condemned for his sin, but he went to the cross and died on our behalf that we might draw near to him. Family, it is a huge desire of mine that we would all value tremendously what we do on Sundays when we come together for corporate worship. That we wouldn't come just because, oh, this is the thing that feels right to do, or we wouldn't just come just because it feels like we should that we just wouldn't come so that people wouldn't call us and ask us why we weren't there. But that we will come because we value drawing near to God. We value holding fast to our confession of hope, and we value considering how we might encourage one another and stir one another up towards love and good works. Because we now have access to the presence of God. Because like that song we sang earlier, we, we are glad and we welcome the Holy Spirit's presence in our midst because we have access to God himself. So let us not neglect gathering together as we continue in our, in our hope and in our faith in him. Let me pray for us before we open up the table for communion today. Father, thank you for what you have done so that we can know you, so that we can be with you, so that we can experience your presence. Father, even as I said earlier in the service, we we are unworthy of your presence. We are unworthy to be able to be with you because all of us have sinned. Our hands have been made unclean, but you came and died and shed your blood to atone for our sins. You are a great high priest. You are good to us. And Father, we're grateful for the fact that we get to know you and have access to your presence. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.